Hello and welcome everyone to Embodying Your Higher Self Tools for Living Consciously. And my name is Michelle Champaka. And I'm so hey, happy. Can you hear me? To... Yes, I can. Welcome. I'm welcoming you, yes. Tori Lee, to the show. And it looks like we have a few people on, um, but the numbers, I can't see them clearly on the computer. But uh, later, after the show's published, uh, I'll, I'll let you know how many people joined us. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So, how are yeah, you I doing can't really, today? I can hardly hear you. One second. Okay, maybe I need to check my sound. Hold. Is that better? Can you hear me now? Let me just double check my audio input. And we'll be right with you, everyone. Just give us a moment. Yeah, let me switch that. Okay. How about now? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Sorry, I'm not sure why I couldn't hear you at the beginning. I think uh, my settings. I changed my settings, so no worries. Okay. Beautiful. No okay. <laughs> so, yay. Yes. So welcome, everyone, to the show. Um, I'd like to warmly welcome Tori Lee. Um, she has a background in applied behavior analysis, but recently she began her journey into acceptance and commitment therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy processes. She's very interested in analyzing behavior and the spiritual aspects of behavior analysis, CBT and ACT that are largely ignored in the general behavior analysis communities and, um, Tori is most passionate about caring for individuals with autism spectrum disorder and those with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And um, she's always been passionate about providing behavioral interventions that help people lead independent and fulfilling lives. And um, yes, she says they deserve the same joyous experiences we have in life. Um, sometimes uh, challenging behaviors stop them from enjoying. Um, behavior is conditioned in all people, not just them. And we can use the information from behavioral therapies to provide them tools of empowerment. So it's such a pleasure to welcome you today back to the show. Uh, you know, totally technical uh, difficulties free. And uh, so nice to have you, Tori. Thank you for coming again. Of course, thank you so much for having me again. I appreciate it. I think it's going to be even more fun second time around. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So tell us a bit more about um, your journey into getting into becoming a certified uh, behavior analyst. I know you're very close to completing that certification. What led you to this point? What yes. uh, What's your journey? We all have a story, yeah? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so it starts way back at, in 2018 um, when I kind of found ABA, when I found Applied Behavior Analysis. I, kind of, I started as a tech, and um, even before that, I was a caregiver. And I was working with clients with some you know, difficulties, challenging behaviors, and I was just looking for solutions. And as I got you know, through my technical certification and I started you know, working with them, I noticed that the, the people who were writing the plans for their treatment and the people who were, you know, setting things up environmentally so that they can, you know, receive the services were, was the board certified behavior analyst. So I started getting curious and talking to my supervisors about, you know, 
what it is exactly that they do and is it something that they could potentially see me doing and you know of course I got a lot of support and they were like yeah definitely like you know you just have to go back to school and get your master's and applied behavior analysis or in psychology and then mm-hmm. sit for the board exam and you'd be able to um, do this position so um, it definitely stemmed from me starting as a tech in the field and watching them work. And I've worked with some really wonderful behavior analysts that I have seen with my own eyes. Make Since mobile data is turned off, you'll have with their um, <laughs> with their clients. So yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was weird. Google decided to start talking right in the middle of. <laughs> wow. So that so that's been your journey and. Um, and uh, inspiration, and it's wonderful. And what? Do, why do you feel that? Um, you know, I know I'm personally working through um, a personal development program, and the the woman who runs uh, the the program it's an it's an online program. She uses a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy um, in the program, which I'm finding to be very very helpful. Can you explain to us a little bit more? Give us an example of how cognitive behavioral therapy works and you know when we would um, utilize those tools or that system yes definitely so cognitive behavioral therapy is like talk therapy I know a lot of um, mental health counselors use it um, and it's it's interesting because it typically helps alleviate things like depression or other um, emotional issues that people encounter um, but what's interesting is I have found that it is very helpful in the applied behavior analysis setting for the parents of children with developmental disabilities or with autism because typically they tend to be struggling with these issues but a lot of it gets overlooked because they are so focused on their child getting therapy um, but cognitive behavioral therapy it it's very helpful to talk through your issues and manage any like symptoms that you're having as far as it can go from depression to you know PTSD, um, eating disorders, but these are for like um, people who are trained mental health therapists. So I do want to just put it out there that I'm not a trained mental health therapist. I'm definitely interested in these processes and how it can be applied in the applied behavior analysis world. Um, but I do think that this is like, um, along the realms of those who are like licensed clinical social workers and, um, you know, mental health professionals, psychiatrists, psychologists, things of that nature. They use cognitive behavioral therapy processes to have their clients open up about what they're going through, you know, and identify ways for them to manage their emotions or resolve conflicts, communicate better, things like that, or cope with grief. Um, I know when I, even when I had my father pass away, I went and spoke with a counselor and they used this approach with me and it was very helpful to get through the grief process because it was very difficult. So um, I remember that and I was like, oh yeah, this can be helpful for others because it can be very rough in the ABA field as a parent because you're dealing with challenging behaviors that some other parents may not. You know, you're getting hit regularly, that takes an emotional toll on you, right? Or bit regularly, that's like... It can, even though it's, you know, you try not to take it personal, sometimes it's hard for the parents to to cope because they're so worried about keeping the child, getting the child the services that they need, they neglect themselves. 
Yeah, that's a really good point because I think it's not just, uh, you know, fix the child and everything's going to be okay. Um, We have to look at the relationships they're having with their parents and, you know, and whether the parents are aware enough to support them through the challenges that might be arising. And, you know, I've... I, I've been pretty lucky. I, I've had two sons, and and they were not really that difficult of teens. But I know today, more so than than any time in history, I feel like there's a lot more um, uh, behavioral um, challenges with kids because of the um, you know the addiction to the phones, the uh, constant gaming. Um, and I, I believe that it's actually rewiring our children's brains in a way that maybe isn't so helpful. So I don't know if, you know, you're getting parents that are coming to you saying, I can't deal with it. I can't control my, my daughter, my son. They become totally addicted to gaming or they won't get off their phone. <laughs> I'm sure these are common issues that parents are coming to you for, you know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's, and it's intensified when they have um, intellectual disabilities or if they have autism, sometimes, you know, we talk about the iPad, it's like, oh, you know, sometimes this is the ultimate reinforcer, but sometimes technology is so powerful that it is overriding any other reinforcer that you're trying to use in a session. So when we we talk about reinforcers, we talk about things that help to, what we utilize to improve the positive behaviors that we wanna see continue in the future. So it's kind of like, okay, it's not a bribe. It's like given after a behavior is completed. It's like, oh, you want to go out to the mall with your friends? Well, I need you to do your chores first. And then once your chores are completed, then you can go out to the mall with your friends. And if you keep reinforcing that pattern, then you will start seeing that the child will pick up and say, oh, okay, let me just do my chores. And then, hey, mom, can I go to the mall? Sure, go to the mall now that your chores are done. So. What happens though with technology is that it's so powerful that it takes away from those options at times where it's like, yes, it's like you can't compete with the iPad or you can't compete with technology because once it sucks them in, it's very hard to then take that away and make it conditional and say, okay, well, now you have to go back to your homework and then you can get more iPad time. It's very, very hard. Sometimes you kind of have to try to keep the technology limited as much as you can or just work with it as much as you can because you do, like you said, you have you run into those things where they're so attached and addicted, especially to specific games or something, you know, that they really enjoy, that it overrides just sometimes even just logic, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think with the you know, today with what's happening in the world with this uh, pandemic, you know, and kids are, you know, in certain countries like Australia and, and Toronto, Canada and other places where the lockdowns are quite uh, serious, you know, what do you do? You know, your kids are locked in, in their home and they don't really have much of a choice. And so I know for me and my children, uh, this is something I, I reinforce from an early age, is to go outside and play, you know, and if, if you can, if you can get out in the yard or just, you know, go go to the beach if you're not in lockdown or go and ride your bicycle. And I was always encouraging my children. And so they both became very athletic. And so because they had another interest, um, they didn't become addicted to the technology, which I think, I believe, really made a difference in, in their behavior and how um, they treated me and how we related. It made a huge difference. And I'm so grateful that both my kids were not... <laughs> Uh, video junkies or game junkies. I'm so grateful for that. But, um, you know, I, I also wanted to ask you, 
um, to tell us a little bit more about um, applied behavior an analysis. I'm not really familiar with that, and I don't know if our listeners are, but I'd love to know more about what you're doing with that and how that all works. Yeah, definitely. So applied behavior analysis is it's like a type of interpersonal therapy with um, typically children. So sometimes it's early intervention, but it can honestly go all the way up into teen or adulthood. I know that's a relatively new concept now, but a lot of ABA practitioners start in early intervention because research has found that the earlier you intervene with behaviors, it's, it's easier to shape them and mold them um, with a little less pushback because you know, when things are reinforced over time, even as, you know, neurotypical functioning adults, there are some habits that we just can't quite break, right? Because they, we've reinforced it for 30 years, 50 years, it's been some time. So a lot of focus on like little, the younger, like eight, starting at 18 months, I think. And then um, the point of it is to improve their social skills and emotional skills by using specific interventions. So um, similar to like cognitive behavioral therapy, where you have an intervention with your client, but you're just you're sitting and talking about it. So like, OK, we're going to intervene in on this, let's say, self-destructive behavior that you do when you're depressed. Right. Let's let's make an intervention and, and try to see what we can do to help you. So something similar where it's um, you make an intervention on a behavior that is socially significant. Right. So if we want to improve a skill, like if they something's aversive about brushing teeth, we can create mm -hmm. an intervention to help them gain the skill and reinforce along the way, right? So we don't have to just, you don't wanna just throw the toothbrush and you know, toothpaste at them and say, you have to brush your teeth. You can be very systematic and be like, okay, well, let's just start by turning on the water faucet and running your toothbrush under there. How's that feel? And then just, as long as we got to that step, we're gonna reinforce it and like, okay, tomorrow we'll see if we can put the toothpaste on the, on the toothbrush. And we'll reinforce that until we have built up to the point where we have gotten enough reinforcement going to where we can now put the toothbrush in our mouth. We don't have to do the full brushing. Just put it in your mouth and just accept that for a little while. Okay, we got there. And then over time, <laughs> you'll realize that you can condition a behavior. And then once that full chain has been reinforced, now they will be able to get to a point where they can independently brush their teeth without having a meltdown. And that's a very important skill to have for your dental hygiene so that, you know, you don't get sick, teeth don't fall out, and you have to have even more traumatic dentist experiences, right? This is like preventing things for later on in life by getting to it, you know, step by step early. Like that's an, just one example of like a life skill that we would work on in ABA. Oh, interesting, interesting. And, um, and you've gotten, you've seen good results with this. With this skill or this uh, applied behavioral analysis using the uh, this uh, technique and everything, so yeah, I think I think more parents need these kind of tools, and um, it's too bad they don't. I mean, maybe uh, maybe one day you can write a handbook for for parents on how to deal with these kind of behaviors. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Well, um, tell us a little bit more also about the. Um, acceptance and commitment therapy that you're uh, working with as well. Yeah, absolutely. So acceptance and commitment therapy, it's a little bit different outside of the context of ABA. It's more in the world of the cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's another um, therapeutic approach. But mm -hmm. the, the goal of it is to essentially increase your psychological flexibility. 
So um, one thing that is like, they have like six core processes, right? So the first one is acceptance, um, cognitive diffusion, contact with the present moment. So being in, in the here mm-hmm. and now, yourself mm-hmm. as a context, right? Like separating who you are from your thoughts and your values, your core values, what matters to you, and then committed action to what you're going to do. So, ah. yeah. So, like, acceptance doesn't quite mean, like, you're just okay with whatever circumstances. It just means that when you're in a painful place, you're not struggling with it. Like, I remember when I was grieving, my father passing, I was struggling so much with the grief because I had gotten to a point where I was like, oh, it's been, you know, six months, it's been a year, I should be healing. And I was struggling with those feelings instead of just accepting that I felt sad that my dad had passed. Right. Like it's like one of those things where you're just like, I'm accepting these thoughts and these emotions at the moment as just part of human experience. Like this is happening. I'm not going to fight with this. It's going on. Okay, I'm okay with that. And then cognitive diffusion or just diffusion sometimes it's called. It's just recognizing your thoughts as just thoughts. Right. Not saying like that a thought has passed kind of like a, a very extreme example that I always hear used is like, oh, I'm stupid because I didn't remember that. Instead of letting that thought pass and then identifying with, oh, yes, I'm stupid. Instead of identifying with it, letting that thought pass and going, oh, I just had a thought that I was stupid. Okay, that was a thought. And just... I love that. You know, I um, I, I used to work with a organization called Access Consciousness and one of the things that they gave us a tool was to look at each thought as an interesting point of view and just label it an interesting point of view and as you do that you don't attach to it anymore and it doesn't it's not so significant and this is how we get out of you know being in our you know sort of stories or um, anxiety about whatever we're thinking we detach and we we just look at it as just a thought so this is what you're talking about basically that's exactly what it is. That's one of the. Wow. Yep, exactly. And then the next one is contacting the present moment. So that kind of goes hand in hand with that cognitive diffusion where you're just being in the now. You're not projecting yourself in the future or thinking about the past. You're kind of noticing how your chair feels and, you know, the temperature in the room and just noticing different things that directly are in your environment right now. And not. Yes not thinking so much just in your head, not being so absorbed in your mind, but being in the physical present. So that's, that's one of them. And then the next one is the observing self, which is my favorite one. This one is Mm. like, you get to think as if you are a fly on the wall, watching yourself. So when you're having high anxiety or you're having a really difficult time or even a lot of anger, kind of, Separate yourself and observe yourself as if you were someone else. Like, oh, wow, I'm very angry. Or, oh, wow, I'm very anxious. Okay, that's happening. I'm watching this happen. But I'm not saying I'm an angry person. I'm an anxious person. I'm stepping back from my thoughts and my feelings. And I'm just looking at it and going, oh, wow, I'm experiencing these, a lot of these emotional and physical sensations right now. Okay. That's something that's happening, you know, like just recognizing it and not judging it, not saying, oh, my God, I'm being judged. I can't believe that I'm so angry. I'm angry right now. Okay, that's happening. 
I think it's about just finding a way to get objectivity, isn't it? You know, and not be so in it all, you know, like not be stuck in the thoughts or stuck in the emotions and finding a way to take a step back is how we can um, get out of pain and suffering. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I um, I love that. I love what you shared, and it, it totally makes sense to me. Um, I'd love to know more about um, the spiritual aspects of behavior an- analysis and what that looks like for you, my dear. Definitely. So that's an interesting one because it's not very recognized or talked about in the field because – it's very scientific in the approach, as it should be, because you are working with a child's life, right? So you need to be scientific in your approach. But I like to look at the spiritual aspects of analyzing my own behavior. I think that it's very important to remember that although we are you know, considering ourselves scientists and we're implementing this, there are effects that you do have on the child just as another human being energetically, and you have to be able to recognize that. So if you are in a dark place spiritually, or if you are very upset about something or angry, even if you try to ignore those feelings, sometimes they still do spill out in your session, or they can cause discomfort to your client or the child because they can pick up on that energy. And I'm just a very strong believer in not just children, but other people in general, in the whole household, you can carry an energy around you and shift it when you go into places. So if you have, you know, happy, relaxed, you know, calm energy, you can bring that into your session. And that can be the the theme and the tone of your session. And then you can bring that child into that. But when you are upset or irritated, or you are reactive to the child in that they have a behavior that's maybe maladaptive or challenging and it's directed toward you and then you get mad, it doesn't help implementing the therapeutic practice. One of the most important things in ABA is sometimes just neutrality, is not allowing yourself to make a facial expression or to you know even laugh at something maybe that's inappropriate because whatever you do that in that in that moment, it could become reinforcing to the child. And then you could inadvertently increase a behavior that you're trying to decrease. It's very important that you are monitoring your own emotional state, your own sense of, you know, balance and where where you are. And I've always been like big on if you need a break, if you're feeling burnt out, you express it, talk to your supervisors, let the parents know, let like have someone sub in or give the child a break. Because if you need a break, the child probably needs a break too. Like it's okay to not have to be able to provide services 40 hours a week. That's a full-time job for a child. That's a lot. So if you need a break, they probably do need one too. And it's okay to, you know, reset and relax and tell them, I need to take care of myself for a little bit because I'm not providing the best that I can because I am unbalanced or I'm not feeling well or I'm dealing with something in my personal life that I need to straighten out because I'm carrying it into work. Being honest and open about that and being able to allow yourself the room to say, I got to get my spirit right, right? I got to get my spirit together because I'm not in a good space and I don't want this impacting the child because I've empowered the parents with tools that they can use while I'm gone or whatever the case may be. But 